This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Well, did you get your breath? Trade deadline behind us, and uh, we're it's like baseball full on now. Like we don't even get to think about like, oh, this guy maybe he's not going to be in this place for this long. Like now, it's just baseball for the next three months, basically two months for our purposes on the minor league baseball podcast. Hi, Sam. Hi. Yeah, maybe even a little less than that. It feels yeah. like the, the the minor league regular season is about a month away. It really is. Yeah, we're just about done with get, the regular season. Yeah, we get into the playoffs, which is one of our busier times of the year. I feel like even though there's fewer games, there's right. there's more storylines to follow. Every game means something. We're pouring more into every game. Um, so, yeah, that'll happen. But, yeah, it's kind of interesting to, to have almost like the Band-Aid pulled now. Like there's no more speculation. It's, it's just straight up. Everybody kind of knows where they are, uh, at least for the remainder of the Meyer League season. There's always some tweaks, some some stuff about that. But I, I, I bet some guys are breathing easy and some guys are – at least good to know that you know they're, they've been moved to an organization that wants them and all that type of stuff, and we'll get into that in a little bit. Yeah, this uh, Labor Day is the fourth, and um, minor league regular seasons end that week, and really it's only from there. I mean, it's really only a week to ten days for most playoffs. Triple A ends at the end of the month with the Triple A uh, national championship game, but yeah, I mean, it's we're we're closing in, man. This is like six plus weeks left in the 2017 minor league season, which is strange seeing as how we did the opening day episode 12 minutes ago. Um, so with that, he's Sam Dykstra. I'm Tyler Mom. Welcome into this week's edition of the show before the show podcast from MILB.com. we got a lot coming up for you today on the show. The number two prospect newly minted in the Texas Rangers organization and MLB.com's number 69 prospect overall. Nice. Willie Calhoun will join us from the AAA Round Rock Express. Willie traded this week as part of the deadline to land you Darvish, the deadline deal that sent Darvish to the Los Angeles Dodgers. Calhoun, part of the package, headed to the Texas Rangers in exchange for that. And a um, lot of deals. Not as insane of a deadline, I think, as it could have been this year. Um, but we'll talk about that here coming up in just a couple of minutes. Uh, before we get started on this week's edition of the show, thanks a ton for joining us wherever you found us on iTunes Podcasts or on, uh, I guess it's Apple Podcasts now. Used to be iTunes Podcasts. I think it was just the podcast app. Now it's Apple Podcasts. Either way. Wherever you found us on an iOS device. Yeah, I think so. I think that's what it's technically called now. Okay. Well, your <laughs> Apple devices. Yeah. Wherever you found us on your Apple devices or on the Stitcher app on your Apple devices. Thanks for joining us. We're also on Google Play now. For those of you who have uh, the old Android lifestyle and have not yet found us on Google Play, you can over there as well. Give us a rating and a review and a subscription. You can get in touch with the show before the show. Podcast at MILB.com. Sam's on Twitter at Sam Dykstra, MILB. I am on Twitter at Tyler Mon. And we'll get started. Trade deadline is up first in three strikes in this week's episode. Sam, a lot of deals, big names moving across the country in some cases, like Sonny Gray from the Oakland Athletics to the New York Yankees. You Darvish, it seemed 
like you Darvish was going to stick in Texas. And then all of a sudden, a few frantic minutes after the trade deadline passed at four o'clock Eastern time on Monday. And we get a tweet from Ken Rosenthal of MLB Network saying, quote, source Darvish traded. Didn't know who, didn't know where. A few minutes later, it comes out. It's Los Angeles Dodgers. Either way, we're not going to talk about the major league impact. We're going to talk about the minor league impact. Which farm system at the deadline and leading up to the deadline this year, do you think improved the most by selling assets from the major league level? Um, yeah, so it, it seemed like Oakland and Texas had the most to potentially gain here, uh, especially kind of the what, the state of their systems coming into the to the deadline. Uh, you know, you're not trading necessarily just to make your your farm system look good. Obviously, you don't want that. You want to build for your future, and you want to to pick up pieces for guys who, in you Darvish's case, are um, you know going to become free agents at the end of the year if you're not a contender or in Sonny Gray's case you know this might be the peak of his value uh you know before he hits arbitration years but while he still has years control years of control um before he gets a little bit more expensive when he does hit arbitration for the for the A's who we know are cash strapped uh so there's all sorts of cal- calculus that goes into it obviously neither of these two teams are really competing this year in the AOS at least in the way they had hoped um, so it was a way to kind of stock them. Uh, looking at the deals themselves, it's it's kind of clear that the A's did the most, uh, but they always had the advantage there. I mean, Darvish was going to be a rental no matter where he went. Uh, going to the Dodgers, um, you know, he turns into Willie Calhoun, who, like you said, is is a top 100 overall prospect, and there's lots to like there. But uh, it's Calhoun and kind of two lottery tickets lower down the level. Uh, they're lower down the levels, two Class A guys being added to that Ranger system that, you know, honestly kind of needed it. You know, Leotti Tavares is their only top 100 prospect right now. Johanda Mendez has kind of fallen off. Uh, a couple of other of their big names have kind of fallen off uh, in that system. It's it's not as polished as it once looked. Not that it was necessarily a top 10 system to begin the year, but adding somebody like Calhoun, okay, that's somebody who you can envision a major league future for. Now, the A's, I would give them the advantage, again, because – they had Gray. I mean, Gray was a bigger trade chip to trade. Um, I thought when this process began, they could maybe get something closer to what the White Sox got for Jose Quintana from yeah. the Cubs, which was Eloy Jimenez and Dylan Cease, two top 100 prospects. They didn't quite get that. They got Dustin Fowler, who was a top 100 prospect. Uh, these are all from the Yankees, as, as Tyler mentioned. Dustin Fowler, top 100 prospect. James Caprillion, former top 100 prospect. And Jorge Mateo, former top 100 prospect. All three guys have crazy ceilings. I mean, if, if they do as well as we think they can on the field on a consistent basis, these are three, you know, stalwarts of an organization. They're, they're three solid members of your 25-man roster uh, who are all adding value, all do di- different things. Um, you know, Fowler can be your starting center fielder. I know people in Oakland think he could be the starting center fielder as early as next year. That's certainly possible. There was Caprillion some discussion had- on Twitter the day of the trade that there were people in the Yankees organization up until the injury that thought he may have the higher ceiling than Clint Frazier even, which seems crazy for the prospect status we've heard from Frazier for so long. But that's how highly regarded Fowler has been. Yeah, because he was building it up so much so well i mean you could see the trajectory going with where frazier you kind of knew what you were always going to get you were going to get some extra base hit ability not necessarily a 300 hitter probably something around 280 a couple steals here and there fowler could pretty much do it all he he seemed like a pretty solid center fielder as of course as opposed to frazier who looks like a corner guy um he had his pop he, he could get some steals um kind of a little bit like what bradley zimmer was 
only uh, I think he was turning out to be a better hitter at AAA than Zimmer had shown. Now we know what Zimmer is in Cleveland. Anyways, I'll get to that more in a second. Um, Caprillion had top of the rotation stuff. You know, he's got a really good fastball, high velocity, some good breaking pitches. Uh, the starter kit for a top rotation guy. And Jorge Mateo, who might be the fi- fastest guy in the minor leagues, uh, led all of the minor leagues a couple of years ago with 81 stolen bases at Class A Charleston. That's that's their ceiling. I mean, you look at those three guys, that is what they are capable of. Now, there are so many question marks. Fowler, before the injury, like you mentioned, Tyler, he had a gruesome knee injury. You know, first game in the major leagues, doesn't even get in at bat with the Yankees technically. He's kind of their moonlight Graham now. Yeah. Uh, you know, tears apart his knees, out for the rest of the season. Uh, he still was in the top 100 even after that injury. Can probably recover from it, but for a speed guy, that is a little bit worrisome. Uh, Caprillion is currently missing the entire season after undergoing Tommy John surgery. Again, you know, it, modern medicine being what it is, modern rehab process, Tommy John isn't as scary as it was five, ten years ago. But that's still something that he has on a knock on him. And for a guy who is not even put together a healthy half a season yet in the minor leagues, you need to see health from him to to believe that he can be, have a chance of reaching that ceiling. And we just have not seen it uh, since he came out of the draft. Uh, Jorge Mateo was not really good at Class A Advanced Tampa, really ever. He was kind of like a 240 hitter down there. And for a guy of his speed, who you would think would pick up more hits uh, just based on you know, the infield variety, um, stuff like that, could bunt for hit here and there. He had the capability of hitting for a higher average at the lower levels, simply wasn't doing it. They pushed him to double-A Trenton just to see if that would kind of spark him, and it did. You know, He, he put up much better numbers at the higher level. Uh, maybe that was just enough to kind of pique the A's interest and say, Okay, maybe there's something here with him. Uh, you know, he was hitting 300 in Trenton with a 906 OPS, and that's in 30 games, uh, with the 11 steals that you kind of would expect to come with him. Um, so, yeah, I mean, all of these guys, they again, they have the high ceilings. Mateo, what he's going to play in the A system is going to be really interesting. He used to be a shortstop. Uh, that's what the one game he's played with Midland. He played at shortstop. They had moved him over to second base, tried him in center field. Just because the Yankees knew what they had in Labor Torres, uh, he seemed like more the tacked on shortstop. They wanted to play those guys together. They want to make the most of Mateo's speed, stick him in center, see how that kind of works. How that's going to work out with him in, in the A system, we'll still have to get to see. Uh, the fact that he played short in his first game might have been just getting him in a comfort level. I don't know. Well, they obviously have another good shortstop prospect in that system in Franklin Barreto, though he has his own defensive questions. Um, so this A system definitely got more interesting. Um, did it get, and it got a little bit deeper, but by adding this amount of guys with question marks, uh, it's going to be really interesting to follow that more going forward with these guys. How are we going to look back on this trade, especially if Sonny Gray, uh, kind of turns out well over the remaining years of control for the Yankees. What do you think it is about this year's deal that led it to be really pretty much a buyer's market. I mean, the the Dodgers obviously aren't going to have to give up quite as much in acquiring somebody like you, Darvish, because he's just a rental through the end of 2017. But like you said, you would have figured that Sonny Gray was going to bring back a haul similar to what the White Sox got for Jose Quintana. And over the offseason, these are obviously two very different animals, the offseason versus the trade deadline. But the offseason deals were very much seller's deals. I mean, we saw major league pieces go for massive hauls on the prospect side. But at the deadline, it really seemed like things favored buyers. Do you think there's any reason behind that right now? 
Uh, I, I feel like there were only limited buyers in terms of what teams needed. I think that might have played a role. Uh, you know, when Darvish was traded, like you mentioned, the whole thing with Ken Rosenthal tweeting out that, you know, Darvish is traded and you kind of sit there and you're like, huh, OK, well, who could it be? He didn't mention who it could be, but it was, they were really only tied to the Dodgers. It, it felt like other teams were checking in on them, maybe, but uh, the Dodgers might have been negotiating against themselves. And if you don't have that other team right. coming in and saying, like, we can throw in somebody who's Willie Calhoun's caliber, then they're not going to be willing to offer somebody like uh, Alex Verdugo or Walker Buehler because they know that those other teams can't even match Willie Calhoun. Um, same thing with with the A's and the Yankees. Uh, you know, the Yankees had one of the deeper systems in the game. Didn't really seem like Gray was being tied to these other clubs. The Yankees probably negotiating against themselves. I mean, compare that to last year with the Rollis Chapman, who brings back Glaber Torres, who is now arguably, you know, the number one, two or three prospect in the game. Chapman was a rental. He was a relief right. rental, which is crazy. But you know that, you know, the Yankees had uh, so many guys bidding for him that that's, you know, they were able to squeeze kind of some blood from the rock and get Torres out of the Cubs. Um, I just don't think that existed this year based on reading of the tea leaves. I don't, I don't have any you know basic information on what other teams were offering, but based on what was being tied out there, uh, this is how buyers markets kind of happen is when there aren't that many buyers out there. The other thing that was really interesting about this year's deadline is we saw virtually no position players move. I mean, we really saw 95% of the deals seemed like they were for pitchers, whether it was for starters or for bullpen help, which was kind of crazy. I mean, we saw some minor level deals for position players, but we didn't see any huge names shipped out um, on the position player side like a Sonny Gray or Hugh Darvish or multiple ones of those. So that was kind of interesting as well. But um, the deadline, the non-waiver trade deadline is now in the background, and uh, we move on toward the postseason runs in both the major leagues and the minor leagues, and we have a couple of top prospects who are hoping to contribute to those uh, at least maybe in the future in 2018 and beyond for some teams in the National League East. And that brings us to strike number two. Ahmed Rosario, the top prospect in the New York Mets organization and Ozzie Albies in the Atlanta Braves organization. Uh, Ahmed Rosario is the second-ranked prospect overall in baseball and Ozzie Albies is number 19 overall. He's the Braves' number two prospect. Both of those guys have arrived in the major leagues. Uh, Ahmed Rosario made his debut last night for the Mets. Ozzie Albies makes it to the big leagues at 19 years old, uh, or at 20 years old, rather. He was born in 19. 1997. He is the first big leaguer born in 1997. So there's a good column that Sam put together up on the, the site right now, which is basically if you want to feel old, there's a lot of guys that can make you feel old in the majors right now. But give us a thought on these two guys. I mean, obviously, Mets fans have been waiting for a very long time for Ahmed Rosario to make it this year in 94 games in the minors. He was batting 328 for AAA Las Vegas with an 833 OPS. Um, and Ozzy Albies has just been like fired out of a cannon this year in his rise to the majors. Uh, yeah, these are kind of interesting in terms of what they both mean in, in terms of that these two prospects. So Rosario was only going to come up when he was going to be the Mets starting shortstop, you know, full stop. That's it. Like the, they kept saying that Sandy Alderson kept saying, you know, we'll bring him up when he's ready. We'll bring him up when, um, you know, the roster situation kind of unfolds and, uh, you know, they have Jose Reyes there. Now they had as Drupal Cabrera as their starting shortstop at the beginning of the year. He got upset when he got moved off the position. They wanted to trade him. Didn't end up working. Um, but Rosario is coming up to be the starting shortstop in Flushing. Uh, you know, he had forced their hand, like you said, Tyler, by hitting 328. 
and you know showing an advanced at bat and what everybody had talked about for years with him was that he was a you know really really good defensive shortstop he's got the arm to stick there he's got the range to stick there uh i think he's grown into some speed for sure he had 19 stolen bases this year at las vegas uh i've heard you know him having anywhere from plus speed to plus plus speed uh which is fantastic he his first hit last night was an infield hit uh one that he kind of forced because he really got moving up the line um so you know he everything is kind of there for him and it uh so we know what he's going to be and it, it i think he's going to kind of hit the ground running i, I think they've certainly waited long enough uh, he had nothing left to prove in Vegas, um, how he's going to take to this. You know, we had him on the podcast before, uh, he, hearing about him here and there. He was always kind of ready for this. He was always waiting for it at the beginning of the year. Um, I don't expect there to be any anything where he's kind of taken off guard, like, oh, this is what the major leagues is like. Uh, he's best friends or very close friends with Jose Reyes, who seems like a real you know older brother figure for him. Uh in that clubhouse, which I think will be a big help. Um, so Rosario, we know what he's going to be. Albies, I'm real interested to see what's going to happen with him. Uh, they started him at second base last night, did the Braves. And it always seemed like the plan coming up this year in Atlanta's dream world was that, you know, they picked up Brandon Phillips in the offseason. He was going to be the veteran presence at second base, hold it down for as long as he could. And then, you know, Albies would come up when he was ready and Swanson would be a rookie of the year candidate. And now all of a sudden you've got one of the best young double play partners in in the the game going and you've got a hot Dancy Swanson and a up and coming Ozzy Albies. And it hasn't worked that way. Swanson actually was sent down to triple leg Gwinnett. Uh, Albies is brought up not in corresponding moves, but days apart. And Phillips is still with the team. They would have loved to have traded him at the trade deadline. He's, he's been a solid hitter this year about league average, um, certainly not stunk in the way that you would think you would have to demote him or you know demote his role anyways. Um, so they bring up Albies. They start him at second base in his first game. It seems like he might just stay there. I mean, that's where he's played most of the season this year. He's played some shortstop. Uh, that was his initial position until they decided Swanson was the better shortstop and they wanted Albies to get as much time at, short, at second as they could uh, in order to prep them together. Um, so with, you know, Phillips is still there. Johan Camargo has kind of taken over at shortstop since Swanson's gone down. Uh, Sean Rodriguez is back from injury. That's kind of a crowded infield in terms of veteran presence and guys who need playing time and all that kind of stuff. Uh, it seems like Freddie Freeman is moving back to first, uh, all the kudos in the world to him for moving over to third base to begin with. Uh, he's going back to his more natural position at first. Maybe they try to work in Phillips more at third base while they let Albies, you know, make this smooth transition, the position he's comfortable at. But no matter what, he's got tons of speed. Uh, that's going to play immediately right away for him. He's a really good switch hitter, better from the the right side than the left, but he's still good enough to put up a 285 average, despite being the youngest player in the International League most of this year. Uh, nine home runs, 21 stolen bases. He's going to be a defensive asset, whether he's playing second or short. Um, so, you know, for the for the Braves, they seem like they've gotten really aggressive this year, pushing guys up the ladder. We've talked about Soroka, Allard being at double A. Uh, Alex Jackson just joined them. Austin Riley's at that level. Luis Gohara just got moved up to triple A. They are pushing guys. It seems like they want to compete next year. So now they want to see what they have in Albies. Uh, you know, he, Lord knows he's put enough in time, put in enough time at triple A uh, to muster this type of promotion 
Uh, he had gotten hot since the beginning of June. Um, so yeah, what, what exactly this means for him? Are they going to play him at some short? Are they going to keep him at second base? Hope that Swanson regains his stature in Gwinnett and that they can get that double play partnership going again in late August or September. We'll have to see, but yeah, exciting times for as much as we thought guys would be moving organizations to see guys move up these two exciting players in the major league level level. Now that that was certainly made to an exciting start to the week. You know, it's kind of crazy, too. Had he not gotten injured and had things continued the way they were going in AAA, Glaber Torres could have joined this group. Uh, the top four prospects in the big leagues right now could all be uh, – or in the minor leagues right now could all be in the big leagues. Yohan Mankata is there. Ahmed Rosario is there. Rafael Devers is there, numbers one, two, and four. Glaber Torres was the number three, obviously, out for the year with the Tommy John surgery. But that's kind of crazy. And then the guys behind them are at the lower levels in their systems, with the exception of Victor Robles, who just moved up, the fifth-ranked prospect in baseball in the Nationals organization. He's with AA Harrisburg now, but Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is a Class A advanced. Eloy Jimenez is a Class A advanced. Ronald Acuna just made the jump this year. He started the year in a lower level with Florida. He's now since made it up uh, to Gwinnett and AAA. But these are guys who are still very young guys who've started at the lower levels, are still there in some cases so there is so much top end talent of really young guys in minor league organizations which is cool to see because we're not seeing as much in the vein of guys like Alex Bregman, like Dansby Swanson, who jump out of big-time college programs and are all of a sudden there, um, you know, polished and ready to go at the forefront of these systems. These are a lot of really young, in some cases still somewhat raw, but just ultra-talented prospects who are at the top end of Major League Baseball's top 100 and a lot of organizations' top 30s and uh, a lot of guys to keep an eye on as we get further and further toward uh, the stretch run here in the big leagues. Um, strike three this week, Sam, a historic stretch in the Midwest League. The Dayton Dragons Jose Siri has made Midwest League history with what is now a 37-game hitting streak. He's the 24th-ranked prospect overall in the Cincinnati Reds organization. Over the course of that streak, a 345 average, a 368 on base percentage. That streak began on June 22nd. Uh, 13 homers over that span, 29 runs batted in in 37 games. He has been on fire so much so that uh, Dayton very superstitiously is uh, not really talked about this much. Uh, but for Jose Siri, <laughs> congratulations to him pretty cool thing in the midwest league yeah for sure um it, it's kind of funny because i feel like last year's story of the year was definitely francisco mejia's yeah. uh 50 gamer and now we have siri kind of pushing for that and yes get all your siri jokes out now like yeah, we've, yeah. We, we've, we've tried them all, them all or we've said we've tried them all we've said them all we've not tweeted them all uh but we have tweeted some um but what i think is really exciting about this is this is a guy who is repeating a level um, he's 22 years old, probably a little old for Class A uh, Daytona, but who had kind of an enticing uh, player profile coming into the year. He, MLB.com gives him a 60 grade in the 2080 scouting scale for his, his run tool, and he's shown that with 29 stolen bases this year. He's got a really good arm uh, in the outfield, and the only thing that was really lacking was his hit tool. Well, the great way to show that you've grown your hit tools to go on a 37 game hit streak. Uh, the fact that he's doing this with also adding some power, Tyler mentioned he's hit 13 home runs during this 37 game streak. Um, that's not really something we had entirely seen from him before. Uh, this is just the ultimate kind of breakout in terms of a, it's going to grab attention. It's going to grab some headlines. Uh, it's going to make us watch him every night, but he's also answering so many questions along the way. Uh, you know, now he's the number 24 prospect in, in that red system, which is a pretty solid one. It's a, it's, you know, uh, it, 
some teams would be envious of it. Some others uh, certainly have better systems for sure. But, um, you know, he's he's answering some questions in the best way and becoming more consistent. And, um, you know, you talk to any baseball player, they'll say, I just want to do this consistently. And the way you can show that is literally by showing up every day and getting a hit. Um, so Siri, not necessarily a guy who might have been on my uh, radar at the beginning of the year, somebody who I needed to watch in this red system has certainly forced his way onto there. Um, by the way, he's kind of completed his skill set. Would love to see kind of like with what happened with Mejia. Um, you know, Mejia was promoted in the middle of his hitting streak. I think they wanted at least Siri to get that Midwest League record or at least try for it. Um, yeah. I would love to see what would happen when he gets pushed to the FSL. What's going to happen then? You know, does his power translate to some of those more pitchers parks, that kind of stuff. Um, but for now, you know, kudos to what he's done. That is, uh, it really puts the stretch of a season into perspective when you think of, you know, June 22nd doesn't seem like it was that long ago, but at this, I mean, that's a month and a half of a hit every single day. The consistency of that, especially mid and late into a season is always even more impressive than if you see it at any other time, because this is the time of year where you really are the most exhausted as a professional baseball player, where the days are hot, they're long. Uh, you don't get a ton of off days in these full season minor league circuits. And for Jose Siri to continue this over this stretch of the season is pretty dang impressive. So congratulations to him. And the streak is still alive. So you could keep it going. Uh, it's at 37 games right now, three more to another round number, which if you listen to the show, you know, we obviously love round numbers for literally no reason. Um, one foul ball to get to this week. We were put on blast on Twitter yesterday um, because last week we did not acknowledge that there would be an upcoming Northwest Pioneer League All-Star game. We were not actually put on blast. Some dude just jokingly mentioned, hey, don't forget about us out here. I carry the flag for our <laughs> Western News coverage, man. I'm the Rocky Mountain Bureau Chief. Do you think I was going to forget about this? Come on! That's right. That's what I thought. I was like, got no East Coast bias on this some. podcast. Yeah, I was going to say, we don't care about <laughs> Tyler, I guess, who is one half of this podcast. Unbelievable. Uh, but no, no. And a big thanks to him for tweeting in. Last night in Hillsboro, Oregon, just outside of Portland, the home of the Class A short season Hillsboro Hops, the affiliate of the Arizona Diamondbacks in the Northwest League. The Northwest League did take uh, its latest victory in the Interleague All-Star Series 5-4 to four over the Pioneer League. Padres outfield prospect Luis Asuncion hit an opposite field double uh, for the Northwest League, which rallied to take a 5-4 win over the Pioneer League. He won the Bushes Beans MVP award and uh, Tri-City teammates, Henry 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 and Jose Galindo got the win and the save in that game. Um, so the Northwest League with the victory at Ron Tonkin Field. That is the most unique all-star game in the minor leagues because it pits leagues in two different levels. They're not widely spaced levels. It's not like you have the Arizona League playing against the Texas League, but they're two different levels. It's a Class A short season league in the Northwest League and a rookie ball league in the Pioneer League. So it's guys who are at very similar stages of their careers, but not at exactly the same stages of their careers. And those games have been pretty entertaining throughout the history of this series, which is not a very long one. Yeah, no, not not at all. But yeah, that's, that's where I kind of get a kick out of it. And then you try to explain it to somebody else. Uh, you know, who doesn't follow minor league baseball. We are just like, no, it's funny because they're like different levels, but they're not. It's really it, young it, guys it, against really, really young guys. Young guys, yeah. And some guys who are just coming out of college and that kind of thing. Uh, if you got a chance to go last night, uh, it seems like it was an entertaining game. 5-4 four, 
uh, Northwest League win. Um, but there are a couple names that I kind of just wanted to point out that you might want to pay attention to in the future. Uh, Ryan Velotti, uh, Rocky's pick of this year. Uh, he was kind of my standout on that Pioneer League All-Star team. But also Starling Heredia, who's a Dodgers prospect. I think he's at number 11 now in that system. Just got moved up to Class A Great Lakes today on Wednesday. Uh, he's hitting 427 this year between the AZL and the Pioneer League. He was only in the Pioneer League for 19 games and yet was their starting outfielder, uh, their starting left fielder, excuse me, uh, in that game, which probably tells you a little bit about what it's like to have an all-star game for a short season league. But that aside, uh, there was one top 100 prospect involved in the game. It was Pavin Smith, uh, D-back's first baseman. Uh, Smith was taken this year. He's number 73 overall prospect. He was taken with the seventh overall pick. Uh, He's a first baseman, so he's going to have to hit. He does that pretty well. Did that pretty well at the University of Virginia, where he was teammates uh, with Adam Hazley. Uh, he's batting 328 this year. No homers yet, but one triple and eight doubles. So he is showing that kind of gap power for right now. Uh, he'll be one to keep an eye on a D-back system that, you know, Lord knows needs top 100 prospects. He is one for them now. Uh, John Duplantier is kind of in that discussion as well, I think, in that system. Um, so, yeah, if you were at the game, those are some ones I think you're going to want to keep the program for, kind of keep an eye on as they kind of climb the ladder. So we we cover all time zones equally on the Minor League Baseball podcast, uh, the Northwest League and the Pioneer League. Congratulations on another successful All-Star game. That's one of the ballparks that I really, really want to attend a game in Hillsboro um, because it, the hops do such a good job with fan engagement and the, the setting seems great. The ballpark is new. It's intimate. Uh, it's a very cool modern facility I from everything that I've heard and everything that I've seen, but I would love to catch a game up there. Us and Jared Ravitch, we can make a road trip. I was going to say, we already have a buddy to watch the game with we us, do. Jared Ravitch, who, who seems like um, you know, a, a non-official spokesperson for Hillsborough, just with yeah. the pictures he takes and how much fun he makes that park look and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, that that's definitely on my list as well. Is I haven't our, been to, to the Portland area ever. Um, so that, that would make for one heck of a trip, I think. I have, but not since high school when it was, I think when it was just barely getting into the, the hipster chapter. Sorry, Portland, but that's what, that's what everybody <laughs> knows you for. Sorry. Um, yeah, Jerry could be our, he'll be our Northwest Bureau chief. Sorry, Josh, we've cut you out. Now you, you only get the California. Now we've cut out a special segment of the Pacific Bureau and now Jared gets that. Yeah. Sorry, Josh. You only get the third biggest You'll state in the, the union. <laughs> whatever that's our one foul ball for this week's edition of the show before the show podcast coming up willie calhoun the second ranked prospect in the texas rangers organization involved in monday's trade deadline deal for you darvish from the dodgers to the rangers went willie calhoun and he joins the show before the show podcast from AAA round rock coming up next Headed down to the Pacific Coast League for this week's conversation on the show before the show podcast, and that is where we find the newest member of the Round Rock Express and now the second-ranked prospect in the Texas Rangers organization, infielder slash outfielder in 2017, Willie Calhoun, formerly the Los Angeles Dodgers system. Willie, crazy week for you. Thanks for joining us. How are things uh, in the Austin area today? Uh, it's good. Um, pretty hot, but uh, it was actually raining a little bit earlier, but it's nice overall. <laughs> 
Well, let's go through this week. Um, trade deadline week has got to be stressful for anybody and everybody that's in a minor league system, but especially if you're in an organization that you know is probably going to be a buyer, you're a high-ranked prospect. I would imagine there are a lot of things that come along with that that are some added levels of stress, but Monday comes. It looks like the trade deadline goes from our perspective outside of these organizations. It looks like the deadline comes and goes, and you, Darvish, is staying in Texas. He tweets a picture 10 minutes before the deadline saying 10 minutes to go, and then all of a sudden, right after the deadline we start hearing there's a trade then we hear it's to the Dodgers then we're all waiting for this group of prospects that are headed from the Dodgers to the Rangers how did Monday elapse for you what was the timeline when were you aware of this and how did that whole thing play out well honestly uh, I was in the clubhouse getting ready to head out the stretch uh, and then after the deadline happened everyone was like alright no one got traded so that's good like we're just going to go out and stretch now and then um our coach was like, wait, Darvish just got traded to the Dodgers. And then everyone was like, oh, wow. And then we instantly thought it was going to be me or Verdugo. We just didn't know who was it, who it was going to be. And then um, I was informed that it was me by my agent. And then uh, our head coach confirmed. And then that's when uh, Gabe Kapler called me, the player development director for the Dodgers. Uh, that's when he called me and uh, made it official. So um, it was pretty crazy, but uh, I'm happy to be here, and I can't wait to get started. Yeah, so w- when you guys had gone out to stretch, you said you heard from your agent. I mean, are you guys just, like, clinging to your phones in those hours beforehand? Are you guys all tuned into, like, MLB Network in the clubhouse? I mean, what was the exact atmosphere like around that group of guys in Oklahoma City? Uh, it was, like, hectic because um, we were literally about to walk out the stretch until um, – Someone had said that uh, Ken Rosenthal tweeted that uh, Darvish was traded to the Dodgers. And then that's when everyone kind of just – that's when Hass, our manager, was like, all right, just chill out before we go out the stretch and let's watch and see what's going on before we make anything happen. And then um, we instantly thought, like I said, it was going to be me or Verdugo. But uh, we just didn't know who it was going to be. And it was just, like, everyone watched it. So it was pretty crazy when um, everyone found out that it was me and they all just, like, congratulated me and just um, wished me the best. So it was it was pretty cool. Yeah, how do you kind of – what was your first initial reaction and, and how have things kind of settled in since then? Um, you know, th- there's a couple tracks of mine when you go in and trade. It's one, somebody traded for you. The other is somebody tr- – trade you away uh you know what was your initial reaction when that happened and, and what has it been like these first couple days now as a as a rangers or or in the rangers organization uh it's been honestly it was uh i was a bit i wouldn't say shocked but um i was a bit like stunned i, I, I would say uh like i said like we we're anticipating like after we found out like who it was the darvish was straight to the ranger or to the dodgers uh, that's when it, like, kind of just, like, settled in that, like, man, like, maybe this is me because uh, other teams see me as a better AL player, obviously. And then um, it kind of just, like, stunned me when, like, it first happened because a lot of people reached out to me. I was actually uh, – Tommy Lasorda was actually one of the first guys that reached out to me when uh, I found out the news. And um, I felt like that was pretty cool because we gained a relationship – like over the last two years during spring training, and when he came out to Tulsa last year, he uh, he took uh, me and a few of my teammates out to lunch. So like we kind of gained that relationship, and then when he called me, it kind of just really sunk in that I was really like officially traded. So 
I mean, it, it was it was cool though. Well, kind of the crazy thing about the the PCL is that you are in such close proximity. When you get traded, you guys are at home in OKC. Then you head to to Austin to Round Rock. Um, we're there at home as well. You're actually going to see the Dodgers coming up here uh, in just over a week, uh, playing at Oklahoma City coming up from the 11th to the 14th. But baseball, I mean, it's such a small world. Uh, and guys that you played with in travel ball or in college or these various stages throughout guys' pro careers, did you have a relationship with anybody in this Round Rock clubhouse that you've been able to go in and at least have some familiarity? Is there is there any type of you know comfort blanket where being familiar with somebody there has kind of helped you get acclimated these first couple of days? Uh. No, I didn't really know anyone on the team except for Justin. Uh I've obviously been playing against him since I was in um, High A in Rancho Cucamonga, and he was with uh, he was with High Desert. So I mean, I've been playing against him ever since High A uh, two years ago, and um, he kind of got me just like situated with everything. And um, I feel like that's someone I'm really going to cling to on this team, uh, as well with um, Damon Mayshore. He was obviously he was a hitting coordinator last year with the Dodgers. But now he works with the Rangers, and um, he was there, so with open arms uh, waiting for me. So um, it was pretty comforting my first day. And uh, like I said, we obviously have an off day today, and then um, tomorrow's going to be my second day. But um, so far, everything's been great. I mean, I can't. Uh, I'm very, really excited to get going with them and just start everything. Well, let's talk a little bit. You you mentioned you know a few minutes ago that there are some people in the player development, player evaluation realm that think that you might be a better fit for an American League organization. Your hit tools are your best graded tools, 55 hit, 55 power, according to MLB Pipeline. You've had a great offensive season this year, um, combined across two levels, 294 average, a 922 OPS, 23 homers. Does that play into – have you thought about that after this deal that now – I mean, you've got versatility defensively now. You've played in the outfield. You were in the outfield last night your first game in the Rangers system but also now there is that opportunity that at the major league level with so many good bats in that Rangers system and so many good guys who can play in the field as well you can rotate in and out of that DH role have you considered that from your own perspective your own standpoint of how that plays into your role now developing and developing in an American League organization well yeah obviously um knowing that uh and knowing that like I'm a hitter first um uh, obviously that that helps a little bit but um but most, I feel like defensive wise, I feel like um, I've really been working hard to get to get better defensively, just so I can play on on the field at all times. And uh, I feel that uh, my defense in left field is like I feel honestly I feel really comfortable out in left field. And uh, it's just because I played it my all my, my uh, the whole year in college in 2015. So, I mean, I feel really comfortable out there, but obviously having the DH with all the good uh, hitters in the in the um, on the team is that's obviously huge. Yeah, and let's kind of talk about your offensive uh, you know, capabilities and like T- Tyler mentioned, you know, a lot of people consider you above average hitter and especially I think power surprises a lot of people given your size at five foot eight you know they don't see power hitters like that out of you or out of somebody your size but you've got 23 uh long balls this year how have you kind of generated that power throughout your career i mean where does that kind of come from how kind of take us through you know your minor minor league developments to become a guy who could be you know a bat first type of player uh honestly like to be completely honest, it uh, my power didn't really blossom until like, until 
until I was in um, college, until, my, until I transferred to Yavapai. And um, when that happened, I mean, that was it was crazy. Uh, I obviously, I, I didn't expect myself to go to the uh, junior college and um, perform that well. And um, it was crazy, man. Like, I think ever since then, like, my power has never, uh, I'm like, I never looked back. 31 so homers and 61 games, by the way, in uh, in 2015 for Yavapai. That was Willie's total. 31 homers and 61 games. So you could call that blossoming, I would say. It's pretty good. Yeah, I would say. Yeah. <laughs> so what what was it about that junior junior college experience that made that happen? Because I know you were at University of Arizona before that. You decided to transfer. Um, you know, what happened in between there? Uh, at at Yavapai, um, honestly, I was just like – I wouldn't blame it so much like on on coaching, just because like I can't I can't blame that. But uh, just being able to be myself, you know, like at Arizona University of Arizona, I was very controlled. It was a very controlled environment, and um, that wasn't that wasn't me, man. Like I I just I wasn't being I wasn't able to be myself, and it just wasn't something that uh like the the philosophy of hitting and everything was like hard on the ground, hard on the ground, so. Like I said, like at University of Arizona, I did not have a good offensive season there. I um, maybe hit 250 with barely any extra base hits. So that was that was fairly new to me because I've always been like a really good hitter. And um, ever since then, I just I just really like took off. And then I, Yavapai, I was obviously able to be myself. So that's something that played a huge role in it. Willie, this is um, kind of a, a cool year for guys who grew up as baseball players and as baseball fans in the 90s and 2000s because the the heroes of that era, you know, are now being enshrined in the Hall of Fame. And with Ken Griffey Jr. this year being um, one of the centerpiece guys in baseball for an entire generation now getting that honor. So much of the discussion Hall of Fame week this week has been how everybody – who came up, everybody who grew up, everybody who watched baseball as a kid in that era, that's the guy they wanted to be like because he brought that immeasurable level of cool to the game of baseball that everybody wanted to emulate. When you were a kid, who did you watch? Who were you a fan of that you thought, one day, I want to be like that guy. I want to model myself after this swing or I want to do whatever. Being a California guy, you got a ton of people to choose from. Who did you look up to when you were a young player? Honestly, what I looked up to when I was a younger dude was uh, Barry Bond. Just because, like, he played for the Giants, and I grew up, like, 30 minutes away from the Giants stadium. So, like, obviously I always went to the game. And um, I think he's the best hitter and will will always be the best hitter of all time. Obviously, uh, he's someone that I really looked up to. And um, I actually tried his batting stances a few times this year. No way! And, um, yeah, I just – usually, like, when I, like – I, I wouldn't say bored, but usually when, like, I want to have, like, really fun with baseball. <laughs> and I feel like everybody should should have fun with baseball just because it's a kid's game. Like, I try to, like, imitate people's swings, and he's one of the guys that uh, that uh, I imitated a few times this year. So, it, it was pretty cool. That's someone who I really looked up to when I was a little kid. Yeah, didn't you try to do Babe Ruth's, too? I saw you tweet about that, like, a week ago or two weeks ago, that you tried to yeah. do Babe Ruth's swing. Yeah, I did Babe Ruth swing, and I've, I've done it like four times this year, and I finally, I finally got a hold of one ball out of four times. So, <laughs> so well, and that's that got to be tough too. Like, yeah, yeah. Is that something you're constantly playing with? Is that just like you think in a certain matchup you think you can get away with? I mean, what what goes through that thought process? I know you said uh, the game is fun, and honestly, Lord, it knows it is, but 
Yeah, it's it's not because I'm bored. It's because uh, I like to have fun with baseball, obviously. And obviously, I think baseball is a fun game. So uh, me being able to, I think I do it. I do it in games where like it, it's not that where it doesn't mean anything, but I do it in games where it's like the game's kind of like out of hand at the point. So uh, at that time, I think we we're losing like eight to one when um when I when I hit that home run like Babe Ruth. And uh, like I said, like I just I just went up to our head coach. I was like, hey. I'm gonna go back like Babe Ruth again on this during this season. He's like, and he was like, uh, "Yeah, go for it, bro." So um, that same game is another is another time I batted like Barry Bonds in that game too. So, so who's uh, yeah, who's the toughest to emulate? Because Babe Ruth, I mean, the the tough thing about that swing is he starts at such that's the classic old school baseball swing. He starts with his feet basically together, which Barry Bonds had kind of a modified yeah. version. Of that what's the toughest one that you've tried to emulate? Uh, honestly, Babe Ruth, because, uh, <laughs> I did, uh, I'd say Babe Ruth just because, like, I had to do just, like, the perfect timing of, like, stepping forward and everything. So that's amazing. I think that's the, yeah, that was definitely the toughest one. Nice. Well, there's one more I wanted to get in on, on your Twitter account, just because I've always wondered it myself, and I've never got a chance to ask. Uh, your Twitter account is at 11 Willie Calhoun, but your listed name is June Calhoun, and... What is yeah. the story behind that? What is, what are the rest of us kind of missing out on? All right, yeah, it's nothing major. It's just that um, I'm named after my father. My father is a, a senior, and I'm a junior. So June is short for junior because all my close friends and family call me junior or June because June is short for junior. There you go. That huh. makes that makes a lot of sense. All right, very yeah. cool. And it also features a very new photoshopped Texas Rangers uniform, which I gotta give you credit yeah. for. That is that was a quick change. Yeah, uh, yeah, I was looking for a new Abby because everyone was just telling me that I can't have a Dodgers anymore <laughs> and this and that. So I was like, so actually, some thirteen-year-old um, girl, like little girl, tweeted me, I believe, and <laughs> she kind of like she told me she was bored and she was in summer and she had nothing better else to do, so. She made it for me, and I, I thanked her for it. I told her uh, I appreciate it. So I think uh, that's going to be my alley for, the, for here on out on social media. It's kind yeah, of the reverse. Go. It's like the reverse Brandon McCarthy, Brett Anderson. When they got traded to the Dodgers, somebody did like like the Microsoft Paint where they just drew in L.A. on top of them. That's kind of the same in reverse with the Texas. This is a good look. I like it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I enjoy it. <laughs> Willie Calhoun is on Twitter. He is at 11 Willie Calhoun, and uh, you can find him there. You also, uh, maybe down the road, once his playing days are long over, maybe he's going to be the new batting stance guy who is also on Twitter and is one of the most entertaining follows. Maybe Willie's got that down the road as well. You could be like, you know, on the late night talk shows, just showing off whoever's batting stance, except the, the difference would be that you've actually had success in professional baseball trying other people's batting stances, which is pretty damn incredible too. But um, Willie, thanks a ton, man, for the time, and congratulations on all the success so far we wish y'all the best of luck in the rangers organization um enjoy austin enjoy the rest of the year man hope it's uh it's a terrific turn in your career thank you guys i appreciate that Benjamin Hill, uh, second week in a row, big leaguing the show before the show podcast, which goes against the entire premise and title of this <laughs> show. <laughs> and I'm disgusted I, by okay. it. Okay. I'm going to give you credit for that because that is very clever. That's very clever. <laughs> saying that he's big leading us on a show about the minor leagues. That's on a show good. literally called the show before the show. The show. Right, yeah. Unbelievable. But and for the second week in a row, we've been big leagued. 
Yeah, but we don't need to put Ben on blast in that I've way. Had it, like Ben, it, it's not a circle of blasting. <laughs> like people calling us out for not talking about the Pioneer League Northwest League All Star Game, and then us in turn blasting Ben for not. And then being, we just like, we, uh, it's like a rude pay it forward. Yeah, no, that's not what we need for this world at all. We need more positivity. <laughs> ben is doing a tremendous job on the road right now. He the just arrived in baseball town. Needs now. Yeah, at Double A Reading, um, he is doing work right now. He, yeah, as us who are just kind of joking sure, sure. around, sure, in what we call work. Yeah, um, no, sure. So, Whatever. yeah, follow um, Ben. He, he, I'm sure by the time this show is up, he'll have all cool, fun things to say from Reading and the rest of his trip. So, and in all seriousness, um, Ben is in Reading. Ben is a Pennsylvania guy. Reading is one of the really absolute best ballparks and front offices and organizations of minor league baseball. It's a very, the type of place where Ben is born to be, you know what I mean? Like it just fits, it fits the personality of Ben's biz. Great. The food is great. The entertainment is great. The product is great in Reading. So Ben's going to have a lot of great stuff from Reading as he will from the rest of this Eastern league trip. He was in Hartford. Um, there's a lot of good stuff coming up on the blog and on the site. Ben's also got a great story from Binghamton up on the site right now about the actually Australian born guy who plays one of the rumble ponies mascots in Binghamton. So that's up on the site right now. And you can keep checking the blog, bensbiz.mlblogs.com. Ben's the greatest. He's the greatest at everything. Sam, what are you watching on MILB.TV this week? Yeah, so I've got my eye on a fun series coming up uh, just because I want to see how Willie Calhoun is going to adjust uh, to this new system. I, I, it, you know, It's not going to be anything crazy for him. He's still in the same league. Uh, it's, he's still in a park that he's played in before. Um, but coming up this weekend, starting Thursday, is a four-game set between his new Round Rock Express team and the Albuquerque Isotopes, and the reason why that's going to be an especially fun matchup is that the Isotopes have the number 65 overall prospect in the game right now, Ryan McMahon, who if you can find a hotter hitter in AAA, um, congratulations, because I, I certainly can't. Since he's joined Albuquerque in the last 52 games, he's hitting 392 uh, with 11 homers and a 1.058 OPS. Um, obviously, it helps playing your home games in Albuquerque in the elevation there, but just being prepared for people to yell Coors at him when he gets to the, to the major league level, you guys never drop that do you? Coors. It, it's a big sl slight that you play in a high elevation. Um, <laughs> Ryan McMahon though on the road this year for Albuquerque is hitting three forty seven with a nine Oh seven OPS. He's doing, he's doing, he's things doing everywhere. just fine. He Pretty well. Doing, right. So to see him on the road in round rock, he will be as just special there um, as he, is typically in Albuquerque. Uh, so those are two prospects. McMahon's number 65, Calhoun's number 69. Um, obviously, this is not a big pitching matchup going on here. Um, Round Rock, I don't think, has released their starting pitchers. Albuquerque doesn't have anybody particularly exciting, so maybe we'll be able to see a couple slug pests. That would be a lot of fun. Uh, but two guys who have been in the news lately, again, McMahon, one of the hottest hitters at AAA, hopefully maybe – Forcing his way to the to Colorado, he can play first base, second base, or third base. Uh, they would love to get him and his bat into the lineup at some point, uh, get a chance to see him before he moves up. And if you're a Rangers fan, uh, get your first looks at Willie Calhoun, whether he's going to play second base or left field like it seems like they're kind of focused on with him right now. Uh, it's definitely it's his bat that's going to play immediately in that new organization. So that should be a fun four-game set uh, to watch on MILB TV this weekend. 
I am going to go to the pitcher's mound, and uh, the top-ranked pitching prospect in all of minor league baseball nowadays is Michael Kopech in the Chicago White Sox organization. It's kind of gotten to the point where we've almost forgotten somewhat about pitching prospects, it seems like, over the last few weeks just because the position player talent pool is so heavy and it's so top-heavy in the top 100 prospects. But Michael Kopech, when he got back from the Futures game, kind of adjusted some things mechanically in his delivery, He's staying through to the plate a little bit longer, more like he wanted to. In his four starts since he returned from the Futures game, Kopech is 3-1 and one with a 1.00 ERA. In 27 innings, he has struck out 33 with four walks, has a whip of 0.67, and opponents are batting 144 against him. Um, there was a time where we were kind of wondering what was going on with him command-wise. There was a stretch from May 25th through June 16th in which he walked at least four batters in every single start. Um, everything seems like it's coming together from Michael Kopech since this weekend. He and the Birmingham Barons are on the road uh, at Jacksonville taking on the Jumbo Shrimp. I believe he's lined up for a Saturday start, which is a 6.05 Eastern start time in Jacksonville. Could be a Sunday start, depending on how things shake out uh, in that rotation. But keep an eye out for that. Michael Kopech, the White Sox prospect, and as of right now, the 12th-ranked overall prospect in all minor league baseball and the top-ranked pitching prospect in baseball. The White Sox right-hander toes the rubber this weekend for A Birmingham. That will do it. Yeah, no, no, this is a packed show. This is yeah. a, it's a packed show. It's a very newsworthy show. I guess that's what happens with the trade deadline. Um, Real news. Does that mean? Does that mean we have to wish somebody gets moved in the non-waiver? We wouldn't wish that upon somebody. Nah, we? I feel like that would be just the worst. Like you're a prospect, you think you made it through. Like, oh man, now I can relax. Trade deadline's behind us. Then you get dealt in a waiver deal. <laughs> that would be just so so needlessly stressful for you. Well, we'll have to find Could out. Happen. Maybe. I know, yeah, it's, it's bound to have it some happen. sort of nut waiver deal is going to happen, and maybe we'll try to track down whoever that prospect is moved in, in such a deal. And in that vein, we want to extend our thanks to Willie Calhoun, who, again, is on Twitter. He is at 11 Willie Calhoun. You can find him there, and uh, maybe he'll tease what former big leaguer or current big leaguer's batting stance he's going to try to emulate in a game next. Um, but really cool to get a chance to talk to Willie in a week when things have been kind of haywire for him, but now settling in with the AAA Round Rock Express. Our biggest thanks to you for turn- tuning into the show, and we'll be back to you talk to you next week um, as we get set for postseason pushes here throughout the final four or five weeks of the minor league regular season headed toward the postseason all across the MILB levels. He's Sam Dykstra. I'm Tyler Mom. We'll talk to you then. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, 
There's joy in every journey.